know who you are through a covenant relationship in Christ's own blood. And we can know that we have eternal life because of what you've done and because we have faith. We have faith in you. We trust in you. We believe in you. We know with our mind and we believe with our heart. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this gift in Christ Jesus and for being our Lord and Savior and for guiding us into your truth. Like I said many times, if I say anything, so what? But it's your word. Help us to understand it, God. And thank you for being with us. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn me down just a little bit. Scaring myself up here. <laughs> Thanks. So last week we talked about everlasting loving kindness. Remember? How God's love just in Christ Jesus is, is the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Which is a, a beautiful reality and an expression of God's love. The fact that God would do this for us is just amazing. And, and to, today, we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective, but it's, it's the impact that God's everlasting loving kindness has on us through faith. The faith that we have is, is an expression of God's love in us. This is how it works out in us. We believe things because of what God is doing and what He has done and what He will do. Our faith is, is like that hymn that we said. It's, it's something that we believe now. We believe it by faith, but one day it will be rolled back like a scroll and you'll see that everything that we hope for, we see it with our sight. You know, We have hope now that leads us into this reality because we know it's true because the Holy Spirit is within us and His Word says these promises are true. But one day you'll actually see it and it'll be the reality before you. And that's what our faith does. It connects us to the love of God. In the preamble today, we're going to talk a little bit to kind of get an idea of which direction we're going. But faith is our response to God's love. And faith and grace are a gift from God. Faith is from God's Word and it creates life in us. In Romans 10.17 it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. And specifically, this word has to do with the word concerning Jesus, who He is and what He did. The word about Jesus is like a seed planted in your heart and mind so that you can understand, so it becomes life within you. The word is actually Jesus Himself as well. John calls Jesus the word in his uh, gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The Word of God, Jesus, is the revealed uh, truth of God. John calls Jesus the word logos, which is the understanding of God's Word and planning. We understand the Word about Jesus is history, in a certain effect. It's objective truth. And we can understand the Word internal as revealed by the Holy Spirit. And faith is the Word of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. The word revealed to us is both objective and subjective truth. And what I mean by that is objective truth is that which is verifiable history. You could take the fact that Jesus lived and died on earth, and he died on a cross, 
and rose again from the grave three days later and ascended to heaven and prove it in a court of law. It is actual history that happened. And you can't, man has no excuse. As far as Jesus and what he did, it's verifiable history. To turn away from that truth is expressed ignorance. It's determined ignorance on their part. It's what they want to do. Because it can be easily proven. The word of God, Jesus, is also subjective truth because we abide in Christ. Or as the new covenant states, we will all know God from the least to the greatest in Jeremiah 31-34. Therefore, faith is based on objective truth that's proven and subjective truth that we know to be true. Objective truth is based on the Bible and subjective truth because the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture so we can understand it. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that we will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We speak God's word into people's lives mainly through our testimony, subjective truth, or what Christ has done for us in the understanding of the relevant biblical, objective truth, which concern the promises of eternal life, new life in Christ, we're saved from sin, we're adopted into God's family as a son or daughter, we're destined for glory. These are the things that we can share with people because they're written in the Bible and we know them to be true because God abides in our heart. And it is indeed good news. And faith is our connection to God's grace. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. The things that are coming that God is going to do for us is something we can hardly imagine. But it's this hope that we have because we know God. And the faith we have is just like Abraham had. All the promises and goodness of God are ours because of God's goodness and His kind intention through Christ. We inherit the promises of God's goodness, even those given to our forefathers by faith. For example... Have you ever considered that we are the stars of heaven that were promised to Abraham? Each one of us that live by faith is a, is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham because we walk by faith. We believe or trust God and follow Him and God provides everything for us, just like He did for Abraham. We need to be grateful for our faith and all the promises that come along with it. For faith is our connection to God, and it's how we dare to inherit His promises. The sermon title today is Faith in God's Love. In 1 John 4, 15-16, it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have become to know and have believed the love of which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Our first point is faith unites us in Christ. 
we already discussed the importance of confessing Christ as the Son of God. John is bringing this conversation full circle. He, he knows this is one letter. We, he could read through the whole thing normally, but we kind of break it down and go through it. And John is just reminding us of what he already talked about. Both John and Paul are saying the same thing. John just said, confess Jesus and abide with him. And Paul gave more detail in that. In Romans 10, 8 through 11, Paul says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word of God, the logos, is in your mouth and in your heart. You confess Jesus and you believe in your heart. That is the word of faith with which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Uh, Frankly, I think that's kind of an understatement. You know, we're not to be disappointed because God is abiding with us. And you have passed out of death into life, and the life is not our own. It's his life that we live now. And the expectations we have of eternity... Man, those are things we can hardly even imagine. And it says here we won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, certainly we won't be disappointed. There are two things that you must do to be saved from the wrath of God. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess Jesus is Lord is falling under his authority. You say, Jesus, you are my Lord. In Psalm 119.45 it says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. We fall under his authority. We do what he wants us to do. The word confess is homologos or homologio. It's being one with the word. And it's our genesis in Christ. We confess Jesus as Lord and we are one with the word. We're one with Christ. We abide with him. The word believe is uh, pistis, or in a verb form, pisteo, and his faith is based on trust and certainty of God's word. It's what you know to be true. I love how Hebrews 11.1 puts it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Because we understand God's word and his will, we stand on his precepts of what he thinks and what he said. You know, faith isn't like, gee, I hope this is going to be true. Faith is based on conviction that you know it's true because this is what the Bible says. And you have this hope. You understand it's assurance of hope. You know it's going to happen. We can't even imagine the wonderfulness of it, the magnitude of God. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God? I can't. I have no idea. You know, and I, I said this before, I had that song, I can hardly imagine, you know. Well, I can't imagine. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be wonderful. When we stand in the presence of God and the the holiness of God, we just look at Him and we see Him and all His great love falls upon us. Man, I I think I'm just going to be falling to the ground. (laughs) It's amazing. But this is the conviction and, and the assurance that we have in our faith. It's not something we hope to be true. It's something we know is true. We don't understand the magnitude of it, but we know this is where we're going. We know who we are in Christ. 
Because we understand God's Word and His will, we stand on His precepts of what He thinks and what He said. James puts it this way. It's a little bit different way of looking at it, but it's kind of saying the same thing. He says, receive the Word and do the Word. Because faith brings us into this communion with God, we will end up doing what we ought to be doing. James 1, 21-25 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humidity, receive the Word and plant it. Now that right there, that is talking about salvation. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Word implanted. You see the truth, the objective truth of God, and you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive everything that God has for you and you repent of your sins. You turn away from that and you follow Christ. You're under His authority doing what He would have you to do, right? That's what He's talking about. Receiving the Word implanting and turning away from everything else. And He says, which is able to save your souls? the Word of God, the Logos implanted in your heart and mind. And he all goes on to say, but prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his his natural face in a mirror and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all he does. And I have to admit, I remember reading that scripture as a young Christian, and I was like, you look at yourself in a mirror and forget who you are? What in the world is that talking about? That is just plain crazy, isn't it? But, but what is he explaining here? is that we have two images, don't we, when we start out as a Christian. You have the first Adam, our sinful nature, who we are, what we're born into this world as, through Adam, the first Adam, that is totally in defiance of God. We talked about this last week. An enemy of God, godless. And then, through the Word implanted, the Logos, Jesus coming into our heart and mind through objective and subjective truth, when we receive that into ourselves, now we're raised up in the new Adam, who is entirely different than the old guy. Right? And you have to turn away from the old guy and do what the new guy wants you to do. Somebody else is in charge now. Jesus Christ is the, holds the throne of our hearts. And we will do what He wants us to do. Or we're not in Christ. There isn't any middle ground on that one. James 1-5-8 through through says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, this is what faith is, without any doubting. For those who doubt is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now these two words, doubting and being double-minded, is what uh, he was referring to earlier when he talked about being a doer of the word. It's the opposite of that. If you're, if you're not doing the Word, you're being double-minded. You're doubting God. You're not acting in accordance with His will. The word double-minded is de-suknos, uh, or double-divided interests. You have the first Adam and the second Adam. Which one are you going to follow? You can only follow one. 
And we all fall back occasionally, and we need to repent and turn around and follow Jesus again. God's Word does not have preeminence in our mind if we're being double-minded. We can't be divided like that and follow Christ. Think about fear. Fear is a good example of that. Fear may drive a person to make irrational decisions, but if they calm down and look at the facts, they have a sound perspective. Doubting is like that. We question the truth of God, and fear motivates us a lot of times. The book of Hebrews, for example, demonstrates faith by comparing the real faith of many characters in the Bible to include Enoch, Abraham, Noah, Moses, and Jesus to the double-minded Hebrews who always went astray. I love the, the idea of, here's Moses leading out the Hebrews from Egypt, right? And they're backed up against the Red Sea. And who's coming after them? The greatest army in the world is coming after them, and they're backed up against the sea. And what, do you remember what the Hebrews' response to Moses was? Oh, good job, Moses. You brought us out here to kill us. Really good. They were always complaining. Did they have God's interest in mind? Did they even understand the uh, a beginning of what God wanted to do and His purposes in their lives? Absolutely not. Here they are, they have a big fire pillar or a smoke pillar, depending on the day or night. God's right there in a physical presence. And they can't even understand what God, they can't even trust God for anything. They complained all the time. They never stopped. And here's another thing. If God told them to turn left, what did they do? They turned right. Thank you very much. They would never, ever do the right thing. They would always go the wrong way. It was like they determined, I'm, God said, Duff, we're going right. They always did that. And what was their demise? They ended up dying in the wilderness. Man, I'll tell you, that's not a picture of a person without faith. I don't know what is. On the other hand, the good news, the other examples in Hebrews, Abraham, Abraham, get up. Leave Ur and walk to Canaan. <laughs> That's a big request. What did Abraham do? He got up and started walking. Oh, Noah, Noah, here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build a boat, a big boat. I want you to build this boat on dry land. Why? Because a flood's coming. Okay. What did, it, what did Noah do? He built the boat. He was a preacher of righteousness. Amidst all this destructive nature around him, he preached the righteousness of God as he built the boat. Why? Because God told him to do it. What about Moses? Character reference. He was raised in the family of Pharaoh. He had everything, everything, everything was his. And what did he determine to do? By faith, he turned away from all that. Well, he ended up messing up a little bit, went out and killed somebody, but then he followed God and found the burning bush, and then he went back to Egypt and did things God's way, didn't he? It's amazing. And, and, and you know, Hebrews always also uses Jesus as an example of faith. In our translations, it says, Jesus. Jesus is the perfecter of faith. And some translations will say perfecter of our faith. And I think both are, are actually correct. But Christ, He always did what His Father intended for Him to do. He didn't miss a beat. 
Even going to the cross and dying for us, turning away from heaven and coming here being born as one of us. And then turning to and doing what exactly God wanted him to do. Saying, I will go to the cross and bear their sins because my Father wills it. Because my Father loves them and so do I. This is what I will do. What a, what a magnificent picture of faith. I love the fact that Jesus would spend up all night long praying. You know? Because he, he walked by faith. He did what his Father intended for him to do. In Psalm 119, 113-114 says, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. We do not stand on what we think. Putting what I think above what God said is being double-minded. I seek to understand what God has said. You know, and that's why the Apostle John and others wrote this stuff down so that we can know it and understand it and walk by the truth. In 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Christ. These things we write so that your joy may be made complete, so that you may walk. We can walk in faith because of what they wrote down. Because they were there. They saw Jesus. Faith brings... Faith in Christ brings us into an understanding of who God is and what He is doing and what He has promised to do. Not that we know everything as God does, but we know what we need to know and are under His influence and are abiding with Him. You know, an abide is a major theme in the Bible. In Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is what faith does for us. It puts us under God's authority, under His protection, because we're doing things for Him. In context of Psalm 91, God is a refuge or a fortress. And I kind of ask the question, well, why do we need a fortress? And I think there are many reasons. We remember that we're going against our sinful nature the devil, and even the entire world. We repent of that and to follow Christ. In Proverbs 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runs into it and is safe. You know, God is the one who delivers us. He is the one who has done everything so that we can stand in Christ. The term in Christ is another way expressing the same idea of abiding. And the term in Christ is used a lot. The, the term abide in Hebrew is lin, which means to lodge, to pass the night, to dwell, to dwell with God. The word abide in Greek is meno, which means to stay or remain. And I think some would present this as a doctrinal test. You know, you, you maintain the, the words of Christ and you don't deny Christ, and that's important. And doctrine is important. Doctrine stabilizes in Christ. But there's more to it than that. 
Doctrine is the objective proof of truth that can and should be argued, so we get it right. There is also a subjective side to following God that brings the objective realities of God to life in our life. I could believe and know all kinds of objective truth, but if I do not believe in my heart, it's not active. You know, it's, it's just up here, it's head knowledge. We have to believe in our heart and know God by His love. It motivates us to do the right thing. And we need to abide. There's a number of reasons for that. Because one, it's who we are in Christ. It's our image of Christ. We are abiding with Him. We have this new image, this new Adam that He has created in us. We need to abide in Christ because we bear fruit from God. Jesus says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. If you are bearing fruit, doing what He wants you to do, it's because God is abiding with you. If you think that it's you that's doing it, you got an issue. <laughs> it's not us, it's Him. In Christ, we overcome our sinful nature. And that's an ongoing process. We're not perfect yet. When you see Him, we'll be like Him. That's coming. But right now, we need His help. We need to abide in Christ to overcome our sinful nature. And in Christ, we're victorious. We're in spiritual warfare right now. Think about that one. This, and I've been exposed to war. You know that, right? And this is a weird war we're in, honestly. The war has already been won. Jesus Christ has already defeated the devil. He is soundly defeated. He has, he has no say in what goes on in, the, in God's house. Nothing. He's done. We, and he's a formal enemy sometimes. Why? Because we're not standing on truth. We don't understand God's truth. We don't pray as we ought to pray. You stand up and you understand who you are in Christ Jesus and you have access to the throne of glory and you come there and you start praying in accordance with God's will, guess what? The enemy is defeated. We get distracted and make it about ourselves not about us. Certainly, it's not about us. And when we align ourselves with God's will and just say, this is what God has laid on my heart to pray for this person, oh my goodness, we talked about this last week, right? Keep on praying. Because we need His help. And we're in spiritual warfare, but the war has already been won. We need to learn to walk in victory that Christ has won for us. We're on our way. In Christ, we have a presence in heaven. And one day we will rule and reign with Jesus. And from God's perspective, God says that you are seated with Christ Jesus in heaven, in the heavenly realms, right now. Well, I go to work. I work down at the gas station. <laughs> no, you're seated with Christ Jesus in heaven because He is there and you're abiding with Him. When you pray to Christ, you have direct access to the throne of God. That is amazing. We need to understand who we are and start walking and how we should walk because of who God is and what He has done. It's not about us, and it's a good thing it's not about us. Right? Because we need help. And we have help. Jesus has promised a new life based on God's love, a self-sacrificing love, and not our self-centered kind of love. We talked about that last week as well. You know, we love because God loved us first. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, and the life that you live is not your own. You're a living Christ in this world of darkness, and, and that's who we are. In 1 John 4, 17-19, it says, By this love, by this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. And the second point is faith in Christ brings confidence. It is the abiding presence of God that makes us perfect in love because He is perfect in love and we are like Him. Knowing God by faith through grace brings us into this kind of love. And I'll tell you what, will legalism do this for you? Absolutely not. You think that you deserve anything from God, you're in bondage. You might as well just slap the chains on and walk around that way. Because that's what has just happened. You're forfeiting everything that God has for you if you think that you've earned anything to get you into heaven. How about this idea that we have, where they call it antinomianism, where I don't have to do anything. I can be a hearer of the word, but I don't have to be a doer of the word. Is that what God's word said? No, he said we're guided by his moral law. We have the Holy Spirit residing in our heart, or we don't know God at all. You can't just have this head knowledge about Jesus and not believe Him in your heart. You can confess all you want, but it has to make it to your heart and believe that God raised Him from the dead. And He is who He said He is. So He reigns in your heart. And we have hope and He aligns us with because of His Word. It is the abiding presence of God that makes us perfect in love. Because He is perfect in love and we are like Him, knowing God by faith through grace brings us into His love. We have the light of Christ within us. And it's that light that makes us who we are. We have confidence because of the Spirit who abides with us. In Romans 8, 15-17 it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Let's talk about legalism. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we crowd, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Man, that should just blow your mind. You, we are heirs with Jesus Christ. He has shared His inheritance with us. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. We have confidence because the Spirit of God identifies who we are. We are children of God. We know God through faith, and we are under the promises of God because we are in Christ. It is who we are. We are abiding or in Christ. And even the things that we do are because of this presence of God in our lives. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. We've heard that one before, right? And it goes on to say, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Absolutely true. The grace that we experience is because of Christ. And the faith that we have is because of God working in our life. 
You can't get there without His help. And it's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Legalism is no boast before God because you're, you're in chains, in bondage. You can't brag that I've earned anything from God. And it go on, goes on to say, for we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works. It is what God is doing in our life because of His grace and His mercy, His gift that He's given to us. We are His workmanship created in Christ for good works which God has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in Him. That is saying that there's a word implanted that brings grace and faith into our life and then we're busy doing stuff for Jesus Christ because we love Him. We are busy workers, aren't we? And if you're not, get busy because that's what God wants you to do. He has something that He wants you to do, whatever it may be. That's between you and Him. Jesus is a gift from God that is our confidence before God. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. The only reason, and when I first wrote this down, I said the main reason. I started thinking about it, and I said, no, that's not right. The only reason we have confidence in the day of judgment is because of Christ. There is no other reason to have confidence to come before God. It's only because of Jesus. He is our great high priest who has made a sin offering for us and intercedes on our behalf before God. And God responds by giving us mercy and grace in our time of need. You know, Romans 8, 34 and 35 talks about who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Why? Well, one is because Jesus intercedes for us. And who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He comes before God and he says, oh, Joe did this or Joe did that. There's a Joe in here, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of picking a word. And what does Jesus say? Joe's mine. Here's my blood. God says, he's good. It would be an insult to Christ if Joe wasn't... He's in Christ, right? The blood has covered his sins. When God looks at Joe, he sees Jesus. He sees the blood of the Lamb covering Joe. Joe's good. Joe has confidence because of what Christ has done. It's not anything that Joe's done. It's because Jesus intercedes for him. As the great high priest, Jesus offers himself to God as an intercession that Joe's good. Here's my blood. God says, we're good propitiates our sin. He paid the price for our sin. The sin debt has been paid. Why else? Why do we have this confidence? What can interfere with the love of Christ in our heart? Didn't Jesus, God, give us the love right in our heart? We have the Holy Spirit as a forepayment of, of, of what's to come. We have the Holy Spirit within our heart. 
Who is going to separate God from you? He's right here. When you accept Jesus into your heart, you are abiding with Christ and He abides in your heart. That's the subjective side of it, but that's the reality of it too. God is with you. How can you be separate from that? God will always bring you back home. Oh, there's a lot of people who have made this head knowledge thing that, well, I'll accept Christ, sure, because the Roman government says everyone should go to church, right? That's what happened many years ago. And then when persecution arises, everyone splits. Oh, I'm out of here. Did that person ever have the love of God in her heart? No. That's not what I'm talking about. And that's what the Scripture's talking about. Romans 8 talks about having the love of God abiding in your heart. There's no way that you can be separate from that. It is what God has done for you. Think of Job. I love it. <laughs> Poor Job, man. Satan comes up before God. He says, oh, Job. <laughs> yeah, he serves you. You take away his wealth, he's not going to serve you anymore. You take away his family, he's not going to serve you anymore. You take away his health, he's not going to serve you anymore. He's going to curse your name, God. Remember the story? Job loses his family. Loses his wealth. Loses his health. God says, just don't kill him. He loses everything. He's standing there. The only thing he has is a wife that's nagging him and three friends who say he's a sinner and accuses him of sinning before God. Well, there's some friends we need, right? Do you remember Job's response? And this is, I think, is amazing. God said, just don't kill him. Do you remember Job's response? He said, and I think this is the one little verse that stands out in that whole book. Job says, even if he slays me, I'm going to trust in God. That right there is faith in the heart that you cannot separate. The devil cannot defeat you because of the love of Jesus in your heart. I'm sorry for yelling. I'm getting excited. But <laughs> this, you have the love of Jesus in your heart. There's no way the devil can defeat you. You just need to understand who you are. Come on! Let's go! Man, this is good stuff. You getting this? You have Jesus in your heart. Job says, man, even if God slays me, I'm going to trust in Him. And there has been so many Christians who have done just that throughout the centuries. Man, throw me up there. Burn me on the stake. I don't care. I'm, I, I love Jesus. You cannot separate me from the love of God. You know? Man, that's who we are in Jesus. We just need to own it. We need to make it who we are. Because that's who God made us. 1 John 4, 19-21 It says, We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who is not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, the one who loves God, should love his brother also. And the third point is faith unites us with love. And this is a logical sequence in verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. You know, you can't love anybody the way God does until God loves us first. And then we have that reality. We start shining that back into other people's lives. And this is a statement of fact. It's not optional. It is who you are in Christ. And this is how you will be in love. It's just a matter of who we are. So why should we love our brother? Well, first it proves who we are in Christ. 
Mark 11, 25-26 says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. For if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you of your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgression. That's pretty heavy. It's a commandment to love one another. So why wouldn't God forgive? Well, because you're not in Christ if you don't forgive. It is who you are in Christ. Because of Christ and who He is, you have His impression on your heart, then you will love each other. It's just a matter of who you are. Forgiveness is an effect of God's love in you. You walk in Christ, therefore you walk in love. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 24, You have heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there. Go to the, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. God tells us that we should walk in love. This is who we are. This is what we need to be. And this is how we should treat each other. So why love your brother? Well, first off, because Jesus loves your brother. And Jesus even loves your enemy. That's why he tells us to love our enemies, too, in the same way. We talked about this last week. Don't hold revenge. That's up to God. You just keep loving people. You know, and we're the church of Jesus Christ. We work together in love, or we're not the church. It is who we are. This is our identity in Christ. If we don't love each other, then we're not the church. We cease being what God has made us. And Jesus will judge His church first before He judges the world. So we better get this one right. This is important. We are required to love each other. And if you do not love your brother, you do not love God. Your brother is the object of God's affection. When you see him, you should see them through God's perspective of love. If you do not, then you have a major problem. And remember, we start with pride and selfishness as our major motivators. And it gets in our way of our relationship with God. That's why Jesus said to find your life, you have to lose your life. In Mark 8, 34 and 35, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. And this is what uh, James is talking about, being single-minded. You know, not being double-minded. You have to lose who you are, repent from that, and turn towards Christ and follow Him and do what He says. And in Christ's sake, it was picking up His cross. That's what He did as an example for us. Whatever God wants us to do, that's what we should be about. Being single-minded because of what he's done. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this commandment is from Christ. We talked about the Great Commission last week. We're talking about the Great Commandment this week. 
is to love one another. And notice how he ties the two together. He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you know what? You cannot do the commission unless you do the commandment. If you don't love one another and you don't love your enemy, don't say anything. But if you love people with a genuine love and you just want to share Jesus because you don't want them to go to hell, you want them to know the same hope and the joy that you have in Christ, then start talking. Because you have that joy and peace in your heart and you want them to have it as well. Because you know what destruction our sinful natures will bring on our lives apart from Christ. We need to walk the same way that Jesus did. John 13.35 determines that all men will know that who we are because of our love. Maybe they will accept Christ, maybe they won't, but they will see Christ because of love, because of who Jesus is in our heart. In John 3.14-15 it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, speaking of His crucifixion, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. As we discussed last week, the sacrifice of Christ in the cross demonstrates the love of God in a magnificent way. To Think about what Jesus did to bring us eternal life. It's awesome. It truly is. If we turn away from that, I don't know what you're thinking. That's crazy. By observing the objective truth of what God has done and receiving the truth, Christ becomes a subjective reality in our lives and love will permeate our soul because of Christ in us. It's a growing process. We're not perfect. But it is what God has for us to bring us into the realities of Christ. And when we show respect to each other, even in disagreement, we are respecting God. The Bible even tells us how to resolve our differences and live in peace with each other. And in doing so, you're glorifying God. And your recourse is then with God. It will yield eternal life. This is what God has presented to us in faith. That we know Him. We walk by His precepts and do what He would have us to do. If you don't know Christ, I would invite you to come down and we'll pray after the service and, and we can talk about that. Or if you have other needs, other spiritual needs or other natural needs, come forward and let's, let's pray. All right? It, faith is what joins us to God. It unites us with His love. And that is how we ought to communicate and be with God.